everybody, this is uh, Todd. My name is Todd Jones of uh, Copy Flight. And at the Copy Chat Show, we reside at the intersection of copywriting, content marketing, and digital marketing. So uh, when I come on, it's gonna be on one of those three topics. And I may very well have a guest on, like I do today, uh, who is in one of those fields, uh, can give us a little bit more expertise. And my guest today is a long time copywriting friend, um, Sophia Dagnon, and uh, she is just, uh, uh, we used to have these chats like we're doing right now. This was like old time sake right here for us, and uh, we used to chat about once a month, once a quarter, that kind of thing, and kind of spur each other on, and, and uh, I think it's done really well for her. Not sure about me, but it has done really well for her. So, Sophia, would you like to tell uh, the audience a little, bit, a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, I think uh, our chats just, it shows how valuable our chats were to me. So, and it was once a week that we talked, dude. I, I can't believe you were like, oh, just once a, once a quarter, once a month. Well, we started out once a month, didn't we? Or something like that. And as that was we, once a week. Once a week. <laughs> Which is obviously as, very valuable. It got harder and harder to keep that up. So, you know, we started doing it farther and farther apart. But, you know, yeah, once a week. So, it, it was a bright so, spot in my day. I know that. So. Oh, <laughs> no, it was pretty awesome. Tell us cool. a little bit about so, Sophia and uh, what you do and who you work with and that kind of thing. Cool. So I'm a copywriter and I'm the co-founder of Unmasked Market, which is basically the place that the SaaS marketers go to when they want to learn how to use email to grow their companies and careers. And I also work with um, two companies uh, called Get Off Lift and Copy Hackers. And I do copy for them, strangely enough. So I would say you're not a copywriter. I would say you're a conversion copywriter. I am a conversion copywriter. That is true. Um, I, I think uh, a lot of people, especially in the copywriting industry, don't make a difference between them because you think, oh, well, you're a copywriter. You're supposed to be a conversion copywriter. But outside of that field, I don't know that they, there's a, there's a little bit of a difference. And um, I'm not sure everybody understands that. And a conversion copywriter is solely for focused on getting conversions for their client. Yes, which usually basically means that uh, we're trying to help uh, whoever we work with uh, make more money. But conversions <laughs> can mean anything else as well, but it's typically centered around like, how can we use all the digital assets that you have to basically help you win more customers and bring in more paying customers. And it's not about being a wordsmith. No, it's a research-based process that also sounds good. Research and testing. That's the thing I've learned from Joanna. i uh, been on so many of those Tuesday uh, tutorials she's done and several of the ones that Talia has done as well. Hmm. And, um, you know, people tend to think about, well, it, and this is really in the website world, so I have probably will have some website developers listening as well. Um, they tend to, like, do the website and hand it off to the client unless they're on a, a, a maintenance plan for their website. That's it. They hand it off. And, and so I think some people think of that as a copywriting, but it learned over the years uh, from people like Joanna and Talia and, and Joe Cleque and some of the others that there's a whole lot of testing that happens after the project's done to not really to tweak. I don't want Josh Garofalo slapping me through the video camera, but you're, 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 you are kind of tweaking. You're, you're tweaking 
based on what you've already done to make more conversions. Is that accurate or am uh, I? Tweaking it is, uh, is one yeah. way to put it. Yeah, I don't, really, um, I don't think that's be, the appropriate word, but. Uh, there's two types, like two, there's more than two, but there's basically two major types of optimization. So you put your copy out there and the first thing is the copywriting is never actually finished. It's something that you're going to keep iterating. Iterating, not tweaking, yep. not tweaking on. Um, so that kind of splits into two camps. In one, you're going to just, uh, when you're first starting out, a lot of your optimization is going to be taking what you're learning. So basically seeing what your customers are clicking on, um, which emails that you send get opened, which ones get responded to, like good responses, bad responses, kind of what people are saying and doing based on your copy. And at this point, you're just, um, optimizing by kind of rewriting based on what you're learning. But there's another kind of optimization where once you're performing, like your copy is doing well, that's when you do strategy optimization. So let's say like you have an onboarding sequence um, for your email list and that's performing like pretty good. Your open rates are like in the thirties, 40%, you're getting good click through. And so like, you're happy. Like, look, we're doing good. So that's when you do strategy optimization. So you take all the research, which we'll probably talk about later, and you look into what your customers are doing and what they need to see from you. And that's when you use that data to create a new hypothesis that you create that sequence on. So that's kind of what, uh, what we do as conversion. Sounds companies. like science class to me. Yes. Which is what makes it awesome. Yeah. That's, and I knew you would love that. So, um, optimization is a better word than tweaking. I think, um, that was the yeah. only thing I could think of. I knew that Joe, that, uh, Josh didn't like that. He's, he's probably gonna, uh, chastise me for that later, but, um, optimization. So you take what you've already done and you optimize it. So, uh, yes. and, and there's usually, uh, it's a lot different than your average copywriter who writes copy and then hands it off and never to touch it again. So I just wanted people to understand that. Um, cause I think it's not, maybe not understood as quite as well. Um, so I'm going to do something new um, on this one that I'm going to try to do with some of the, the guests. It's called, uh, I'm going to call it getting, getting know you the lightning round. Uh, so it's, it's made not to be drawn out necessarily just to kind of get to know a little bit about the guests. So these will be kind of quick questions, hopefully quick answers. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Well, you, yeah. you'll see. All right. You ready? Oh, no. you're not. See, here we go. Cake, pie, or cookies? Wait, what? Cake, pie, or cookies? Pie. Favorite dessert? Pie. Pie, okay. Uh, favorite TV show ever? Ooh, that's hard. See, that, that's not lighting. Uh, uh, right now? We've had discussions on this along the way, you and I. Oh, Deep Space Nine. Deep Space, Deep Space Nine. Nine, okay. All right. Yes. <laughs> favorite holiday? Uh, Christmas because it's snowy except yeah. for in Texas. Well, unless in you're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless you're in the South in the, in the United States. Um, uh, favorite author? Uh, Tolkien. Tolkien. Okay. Um, okay. What would you sing at karaoke night? Any Disney song ever. Any Disney much. song ever. Yeah. Um, like, uh, well, I'm thinking about, um, Frozen, uh, let it let it go or whatever. Anyway, actually, I'm more like '90s Disney, so like okay. maybe Aladdin. <laughs> Aladdin, okay, okay. Um, if you had a warning label, what would yours say? Go away. Go away. <laughs> go I doubt away. It. 
just beware, probably. <laughs> beware of firecracker present. Okay. Has a cat that murders you. Yes. <laughs> beware. <laughs> okay. Uh, aside from necessities, what would uh, what is one thing you could not go a day without? Coffee? What, what are we counting as necessities here? I would <laughs> count as a necessity, but maybe others wouldn't count as a necessity. Well, aside from coffee, what, what could you not go without? Food. Food. Yeah. You're, you're just a very simple person. And that's good. That's good. I am. Coffee and okay. food. This is kind of a weird one. So, uh, but you are in Houston. So, uh, would you rather ride a bike, ride a horse, or drive a car? Probably horse. A that horse. Would be coolest. Okay. Mm. It would be way cooler. Uh, you could be a cowgirl. Yes. Okay. If you could live anywhere, where would it be? Antarctica. Where? Antarctica. Antarctica. You yes. like the cold, do you? Yes, this is why I moved to Texas. Yeah, okay. Um, I think this is the last one. What celebrity would you like to meet at Starbucks for a cup of coffee? Or anywhere, really? Do they have to be alive or dead? Well, I mean, I, I'd not say do ever. they have to be dead. Ever. I mean, I'd say uh, ever, yeah. Terry Pratchett. Who? Sir Terry Pratchett. Okay, all right. Um, not as familiar with him, so that's cool. Okay, so today, um, Sophia uh, is is a conversion copywriter, email strategist. Is that correct to say? Yeah, and I want her to teach us a little bit of voodoo, and maybe that's the wrong word to say, <laughs> but um, when it comes to writing our content and our copy, uh, I think people tend to be way too informative. So we're going to talk about some things you can do to be more persuasive, at least one thing. <laughs> and uh, so I wanted to talk to Sophia about that. Now, um, there's, there, and I'm going to put this in show notes, but there's uh, the principles of persuasion. I think um, I, I am saying, I've been saying for a while now that uh, content, and I'm not even talking about copywriting, like landing pages and emails. I'm talking about like your blog posts, whatever. But there's a blurring of lines between copywriting and content writing. Uh, because content writing has to be more persuasive now than maybe it was 10 years ago when we were probably a little bit more matter of fact and, um, you know, informational. I think you have to go beyond the informational. Do you think that too, Sophie, or am I way off on that? I think it's more that uh, like it's becoming more normal and conversational to write content. So like nobody actually enjoys reading boring things. I mean, just think about the things that you enjoy reading. Like you like somebody that puts together a persuasive argument, something that's interesting, mm -hmm. this kind of teaching you something that you're actually like, Oh, you know what? I enjoy the fact that I spent five minutes reading this. Yep. Back in the day when you were trying to find information, if the only information that you could find is just ridiculously boring, well, yeah, I mean, you'd read that because that's the only thing out there. Yeah, yeah. But because there's so much out there now, we just actually have to write things that we like. I think that's yeah. what's changed. Well, I think you know, blog posts maybe 10 years ago, sometimes that, that kind of content was written more like what we would call a knowledge base. Really mm -hmm. just very much just the facts. Um, I know that, well, if you go to copy hackers and read an article, and by the way, Sophie has an article, maybe one, maybe more than one. I don't know. You, I know you got one over there. Um, you go to copy hackers to read it. Those are incredibly long articles. Okay. Um, 
they're not going to put out one that's long, that long, that's going to take you 15, 20 minutes to read or more. If it's not written in a way that you will stay engaged all the way through. I mean, who's going to read a article that takes 20 to 30 minutes to read if it's not engaging? Nope. So Nobody outside of academia. Yeah. So I like the ideal of being more persuasive, uh, whether it's in your content, uh, the articles you're writing on your website, whether it's in your emails, and that's really important. And I hope you bring that up because that, that is your area of expertise. But boring emails are, frankly, just really boring. And um, if, you're, if you're building, if you're doing um, TV or video shows like this one or a podcast, I mean, no one wants to get on there and listen to somebody who's monotone. Um, so I think persuasion is probably one of the single most important things you can do with your content. Agree? Disagree? agree but also i think it's important to remember that persuasion is something that you're already naturally doing like whenever you're hanging out with friends or like whenever you're trying to like persuade your partner or your friend like what movie you guys are going to pick like, from netflix like that's persuasion in action these are all things that we do all the time but when you sit down and write it's somehow like your brain just blanks you're like wait like these are words how how do these words go on the page so it's about moving kind of past making writing a different thing and just tap into the principles that you already naturally use in your like day-to-day -day life. So how can, um, you know, the typical, typical business owner, um, tap into that for their content that they do for business in general? Um, I think the first thing is to stop separating your business so much like from the way you would normally talk, but that's like, that's a really easy thing to say, but how do you actually do that? Uh, so one of the persuasion principles that uh, me and Todd were talking about before we started recording is likability. So how do you come across as likable? And this is again, like one of those things where if you read like, just be more likable, it's like, yeah, like I'm not going out of my way to make my customers hate me. Like, what does that actually right. look like on the page? Yeah. And so I made some notes earlier, which I'm now going to look at, but, uh, one of the things about likability is that as a business owner, you have this, at least like a lot of the business owners I've spoken to, you have this desire to make a product everybody likes. And so the second you get pushback on marketing or like you send out, say like an email, um, a sales email for like your latest launch and you get several replies that are just like, oh, you know, this was the worst, most salesy thing ever. I hated it. I never want to hear from you again. Like, who do you think you are? And you take that to mean that you're not being likable. But that's actually a lot of rubbish. In order to be likable, like to be likable, somebody out there has to dislike you. You can't have like people think, oh, you know, this person is amazing. I want to learn from them without somebody else thinking like, nope, this person is the worst. Like I want nothing to do with them. It actually comes down to a law of physics. So for every action, you need an equal and opposite reaction. So to be likable, like other people have to dislike you. So when you think about likability, you have to think about what do the people I actually want to connect with? So the people who are my dream customers, who I want to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, like I want these guys buying my products because we just, they're going to really use my products. They're going to make the most out of them. And they're also delight to work with. 
Because as a business owner, you don't want to work with people who don't like your stuff. Like, you're not really going to be able to provide a very good service for them. So when you think about being likable, think about those people. And kind of you start from there. Yeah, and that brings up another point uh, about, and that shouldn't be in this video, but about who those people are, how you determine who those people are. And, and um, you know, well, my friend Samantha, who's a, who's a marketing genius, she talks about, uh, I think the first time I ever heard the ideal, not just the ideal client, but the, the perfect client, I forgot how she put it, but it, it was rather, it was a person who aligns with you the most. And I'm afraid in business, sometimes we hear too much talk about there is a target market. Your target market is that ideal client, that whatever. But we really put a lot of stock in niche. And really what we mean by niche is industry. And industry is only one part of the equation um, when it comes to, you know, generating who your target audience is. I think uh, that's why I encourage a lot of people to look at psychographics, you know, over demographics a lot. Um, Anyway, I'm sorry, I kind of got off the tangent there. No, actually, that brings something uh, about likability I've been thinking about. So you mentioned things like psychographics and you mentioned niching down to industry. Um, for me, it's also about niching down to philosophy. So like what your business philosophy is. And so this is an example from my personal life. Uh, back in like, I think it was July, I was like, dude, I, I need to start doing some form of exercise because just working from my home office is not going to cut it. And so I joined a kickboxing studio. And like their fitness philosophy is very much like oh you know we need to get in and lose weight for the summer and look great in like bikinis and just and it was very that kind of like we want to get fit for this extrinsic result which happens to diverge from my fitness philosophy uh, but what, what you were to a lot of yeah um i i just like punching bags so my philosophy was like, I want to punch the bag really hard. And they're like, oh, yes, push through to lose those 10 pounds. And I was like, no, I'm just interested in how hard I can punch this bag. This does not motivate me. But it motivated a lot of the other people at the gym. And so I stopped yeah. going because our philosophies just diverged. Like, they're a good studio. They cater great to their audience. I'm just not their audience. But yeah. a few days ago, I joined a CrossFit studio just down the road from me. And their philosophy is let's just lift a bunch of like stuff and see how much we can lift. I was like, ha, that is, that is the philosophy that makes you likable to me because you're pushing me. You're like kind of aligning with what I want out of fitness, yeah. which is to see how much shit I can lift versus yeah. like the other philosophy. So to be likable to the person, like it's not that the kickboxing studio are not likable. They are. It's just, they're not likable to me. Yeah. So find your people like, who are you actually targeting? And don't like go out and cop out and say, oh, everyone. You're not targeting everyone. Exactly. Like, nobody targets everyone. You have people that will just love your product. It will fit really well with what you've got going on. So like figure out what your philosophy is. And one great way to do that is to talk to them. Like talk to your best customers. Like what do they love about you? Like yeah. what do they want to see more of? That's the stuff that's going to make you likable and get you more people like them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think, um, um, you know, I delved into this about page thing last year and did some teardowns, which are on the YouTube channel. And, 
Um, I did some teardowns for other people. Well, actually, that's actually who they are for. Uh, I put out a tweet. Hey, I want to do some, you know, about page teardowns and about nine people said, yeah, yeah, you can do mine. It's like, let her rip. I'm like, okay. So I did it. Um, but anyway, during that process and also, um, I helped, um, this seems really benign, but, um, Joel from case study buddy, uh, he's like, Hey man, uh, we don't have anything for our LinkedIn page. Uh, you know, the about part it's like, okay. So I did a little research for him and I took pretty much mostly what he had from his, um, about page on his website and formatted it for, cause it's all pretty much straight text. So I did a little formatting and put it up there for him or I sent it to him and he put it up. Um, and I realized that doing that was even about the same as doing an about page. But anyway, I go back to that to say, uh, as I developed my about page framework, one of the things that you do is, um, hone down on what your values are. And, um, so, uh, actually going through that right now with a client and I, uh, and I use a question, you know, basically, and, I, and I'm, other people have said this question, so it's not unusual, but basically what about your industry pisses you off? What really makes you mad? And cause that right there is a slight, this little touch button issue in which people will build their business around. So there's a lady I work with here in town who has a cleaning business. Well, she realized that most cleaning services will have, and, and I know this from experience, will have um, companies to, uh, or not company, they'll have the house owner to put things aside and kind of straighten up before they come and clean. Well, she decided she was gonna offer what she called maid service with it. So not only do you get the house, your house clean, but they also like will make up your bed and you know all this kind of stuff. That it's like, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. And um, I think it was. I don't even know if she understands how powerful that is, to be honest with you. But it's huge. Uh, but it's a it's a little thing that she didn't like about how her industry did something that she decided to do differently. It is a differentiation. Mm -hmm. um, so differentiating around something that is important to you can make you make you more likable to your target audience. Is that kind of what you're saying? Definitely. Um, like find what you do different, like find what you believe that's different. Just cause like we all do, we all have specific things that we want and And when you pick a fight that like your audience is also picking, it's just a great way to connect. I mean, just think about all the really solid friendships you made, like when you were younger, or even now, like a lot of them, like, yeah, they're based around things you like, but a lot of them are based around things you dislike together, like shows you dislike together, or like activities you dislike together. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. So, okay, let's flip that around just a little bit. You're saying that, you know, this can make you very likable, but at the same side, it can also, there's somebody who won't like you. Yeah. How, how do I, as a business owner, I'm trying to be more likable. I'm, um, really tapping into my own values and creating my business around that. So I have people being attracted to me from that same framework, but you may have somebody mad at you or maybe they don't, maybe it's not just a benign. I don't like what you're, you know, how you do it. Like you with the, 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 um, was a kickboxing, you know, you didn't hate them. They were likable. It just didn't align with what you want to do. But sometimes, uh, in doing so, not only do they not align, it, it, it 
creates a sense of threat and they become angry at you. How does a regular business owner handle that? Uh, that's one of the really hard things that if, if you're going to make something that is really different, like if you're going to differentiate yourself in a way that kind of stands out, you will get that. There isn't like an easy or a nice or like a step-by-step -step to deal with that. And what I personally do and what I've recommended that uh, other people do is you have to look at why you pick those values in the first place. So when you pick like the values that you stand for, they have to be something that you actually stand for, that yeah. you believe in. So then when you get that negative feedback, as long as you're being honest and ethical and truthful about what you do, and you're not exaggerating, or you're not basically doing any of the dodgy stuff that you wouldn't do anyway, then you just kind of have to take it on gin. It's like, yeah, people will dislike your business, but is that worth it for the people that will really love your stuff mm -hmm. and will keep buying your stuff and recommending your stuff? And if it's not, well, then maybe you should rethink the strategy. And yeah. if it is, then you just have to keep that in mind. I think it's an interesting where this conversation went, because I certainly did not expect it to go down this road. And it really aligns with some of the stuff I'm doing, because I'm talking to people about messaging all the time. It's like, you know, and, and I've got this new thing for me anyway, um, that I call, uh, you know, how you talk about um, product market fix fit or whatever I call uh, your, your, your market message fit or your message market fit. Um, is your message fitting with your market or by, by market, I mean your target audience. So uh, what you're talking about here actually plays right into that, which is really cool. But you're saying not only is that a good thing to do anyway, it makes you more likable, which makes you more persuasive to the right audience. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, we tend to be more persuaded by people that we already like. Yeah. And so we build a stronger bonds. And sometimes, and as I said earlier, kind of be likable to your audience, to the people you want to attract, you're going to be dislikable to their opposite. Like so you just are. Now, your target audience is, likes you. And it's not just like, oh, I like them. It's like, I really like, because I like what they're doing. I like whatever. Um, but you're saying on the flip side of that, or on the back side of that, is they become super fans for your business. What is that accurate to say? Um, I think a percentage of them. Well, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I have a friend, um, Brittany Hodak, who, who uh, started, it's called, it was called Zine Pack at the time. Now she calls it a super fan company. She's starting to consult businesses about, uh, basically it's, it's good customer service that leads mm -hmm. to uh, being a super fan. But I, that's what I thought of when you were talking about that. They become people that share your stuff and, and really recommend you. So they really like you. Uh, so, so that's part likability. Part of that is also business practices. So yeah. you can't just be likable and then have business practices oh, no. that are yeah. that make your customers uh, well, not. You got to deliver. You got to deliver. You got to over deliver. Uh, you can't ignore customer service. Um, and I think also, and I started reading a book that you probably already read called uh, Profit First. No, and, I have an issue. Yeah, I mean, his idea is Profit First, but. Um, he, he makes, you know, it's not what it sounds like when you, I mean, it kind of is, but it's not, but you, you've got to have, you got to build a business that's sustainable, which is kind of what he's talking about. And in order to do that, you've got to, um, continue to service your product and your customer. Well, um, but I think, uh, when we think about growth and revenue almost exclusively, which is kind of what he's referring to the book, uh, you tend to not think about 
taking care of the people in the back end because you're focused on can we get more people can we get more people you know and I, it was a it's just a subtle shift i think but i think the profit first mentality uh allows you to think more about uh sustained growth and which should i think mean you take care of your customers on the back side so um yeah persuasion only like persuasion is going to help you get more people to say yes to you but it only creates a profitable business that's sustainable and long-term if like your product has to be solid like it has to be good you have to have good customer service mm -hmm. uh you have to treat your like if you have employees or a team or contractors they have to feel good about what you're doing because they're basically the face of your company if right. like they feel bad, uh, sure, persuasion is going to get people through the door, but you won't be able to keep them. And likability is something that helps people sign up with you, but it's also something that helps you retain them long term, which is how you build a sustainable business. So, but yeah, think, like the things I think said. You can, I think you can use the likability in the service part of the thing as well. I mean, you know, um, well, I, I use example, I use SiteGround for hosting. I know some people have had some issues with them for whatever reason over the years, but I really like them. Um, the product's good, certainly, but every time I reach out for something, um, you almost always chat. I mean, very seldom is it anything less than a stellar experience. Mm. So in that way, they're retaining or they're maintaining their likability status. Um, and I think a lot of companies do that as well. So it's not, yeah, I like what you're saying. So likability can get you in the door. Uh, you're, you certainly got to deliver on the product and the service, but I think you can continue likability in the service. Oh, you, you definitely should. Like, yeah. Otherwise people will leave. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, um, Okay, well, any other persuasion tips for us? Um, I don't want us to like dig into another one because it almost feels like uh, that it will be over time. So I'm just going to wrap up on, like, do you think it's worth digging into how to find out what's likable, like quick research tips or yep. no? What do you think? Yep. Okay, so quick way to find out, like, if you're thinking there, like, ah, but how do I know what my, uh, what my best customers are? First thing, identify your best customers. So like, who are my best customers? Those should be people that spend a good amount of money with you, but mm -hmm. also like people that you enjoy working with long-term. These are the people you want to keep. Mm -hmm. So if somebody like just dropped 20K on you, but you're like working with them has just been a nightmare, that is not uh, your best customer. Uh, if somebody's consistently dropping like 2K a month and you have, and they're delightful to work with, that is your best customer. So you make a list of those people. Ideally, like typically those would be in smaller services businesses, those would be people you know quite well. So if you're a bigger business, you can run a survey with them and just kind of ask them specific questions about uh, their experience with you. So you can learn more if it's a smaller number, just like ask them for 15, 20 minutes of their time and like you can give them a Starburst gift card. At the, I like to do that at the very end after I've done the interview. So ask for the favor, we'll chat. And then I'll offer something at the end as a thank you. So you're less bribing them and more appreciating the fact that they've taken the time. But right, you know, like right. you can Google about uh, like interviews online. There's a lot of really good resources and I'm sure we can link to some. But yeah, talk to them about the experience with you, about like what they love. What would they say to their friends if they were to describe you, if they were down at the pub or the coffee shop? Like how would they describe 
what you do and what they love about you in the Cassandra Institute. Why do they keep coming back to you over the competitors? And start basically kind of building like a Google Doc or a Notion Doc or like whatever you work in of that information. And so that's going to show you what you need to do more of and what kind of things you need to touch on in order to be more likable in both your like marketing materials and also throughout your customer service experience. Don't stop being likable. That's like, that's what I'm going to end Yeah, on. Don't stop being likable. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's a good line. Don't stop being likable. Uh, what are some questions you would recommend um, for a survey, either in person or using something like Google uh, Forms or Typeform or whatever? See, that's, I always find that really tough to answer because it really depends on what you're trying to find out. Sure. So what I can do, instead of just like listing off a bunch of contextless questions, I can give you a couple of links to a couple of really good articles on surveys that kind of walk you through basically what their hypotheses were, like yeah. what they were trying to find out, what questions they asked. And then you can use this as inspiration to kind of uh, work out on your own question. Oh, and one resource is... I'm looking behind me to find out what the title of the book is because I don't remember. Uh, the Coaching Habit. It's called The Coaching Habit. The and coaching that has habit. some uh, really good kind of questions and interview techniques and things that can just help oh. you build like your own questions on. But always start from like the information that you need to find out. Now, we're talking about customer surveys and interviews and all that. Now, now you just created another... Uh, a interview uh, option for me now. I want to get uh, Hannah mm, uh, yes. on there and because that's her specialty. She's really good at that kind of stuff. So um, <laughs> do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I was going to say, especially for the companies that are local, um, you know, take them down, uh, ask them for coffee at the coffee shop. Um, and I'm just, you know how I am about coffee. Um, I go to all the the um the independent ones in town so i mean it's easy to go to starbucks they have one on every corner and if, if that's your go-to then then do that but go like here maybe go to blue cell coffee um or whatever your favorite coffee shop is you talked about getting a gift card get a gift card for that coffee shop so um now last fall last december actually you know pam moore she was doing some interview survey and put out her email and i said yeah i'll do it and I got a $20 gift card to Amazon. Actually, she gave me two or three options, but I chose the gift card. Um, that and a couple of gift cards for Christmas, and I had about 70 bucks to spend. And wow. I just got about five books, including the Robert Chal Cialdini uh, book, the, the Persuasion Principles. I just picked that one up, uh, Profit First, um, and, and even uh, Permission Marketing by Seth Godin. Uh, so I got, I got about five books out of that. So, I mean, not, nice. not from the, uh, but Pam gave me a gift card and then I had some others. And so, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, and all I did was what we're doing right now. She got me on the phone a couple of years ago and Nabil uh, Aziz did the same thing. Uh, he would put out a, a message on one of the Facebook pages. I said, yeah, I'm in this field or I've done this before. And he booked and Nabil paid me for my, for my time. He paid me. Uh, for my time so uh, yeah I mean not everybody can do that but surely um, buy like I think you need to find something that works for your company I'm a little reticent um, because if you're compensating somebody up front it's going to affect their answers like oh, they yeah. may not think it's going to affect their answers but it just is it's how the brain works like you know, your answers he, did not will tell be me, he did not tell me he was going to do that ah, but as a thank you yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I can see it, but I, but you know, let's just say I, I met somebody at blue cell and to, to ask them these questions and, uh, I buy their coffee, but before they ever come in, I say, can you give me a $10 gift card? And then when I'm done, you go, Hey, I really appreciate you sitting down with me. Here's a gift card to blue cell, you know? Yeah. Or a service. I mean, I've offered a quick like coffee review cause it's something I do for paid. So when I do like interviews where I feel that they're, basically giving up quite doing me a favor by taking the time. Uh, I've offered something like, Hey, like if you send me like a landing page you wrote, I will do a quick review of it. Show you what to optimize. So a little audit. Yeah. A, yeah. A part of your, like a service that you offer as a thank you. It's just the, it's the principle that we didn't touch on, but it's the principle of reciprocity. We're just yeah. building a relationship and you're yeah. appreciating them. Yeah. Yeah. So like you, we just went on, we, we just talked about likability for a long time and then you threw uh, reciprocity in there, which I like too. So that's a good one. Um, I, now we know there's seven uh, of the principles of persuasion. We didn't go into all of them. Um, but uh, I added another one. So are, are you, do you want to know my yes. other principle of persuasion? What is your other principle? This will be on video tape. So I, Nobody else can take credit for it. Okay, sure. so your team, like watch this. Honestly, somebody else has probably done it, but mine is nostalgia. Uh, I am amazed at how um, any product or something that reminds us of a better time. Um, so, uh, in fact, eBay basically lives on that, right? Being able to buy the toy when you were eight years old that you loved. Uh, you can find it on eBay just about, uh, I thought about lunch boxes, metal lunch boxes. I don't know if you had that growing up in Scotland, but we had those metal lunch boxes when I was a kid and, um, you know, just anything that reminds us of stuff that we really loved when we were much, much younger and people spend money for that too. I mean, it's not just a drive by night nostalgia moment. I mean, people will pay to relive that childhood. So I think nostalgia is a principle of persuasion, but whatever. Hmm. See what, see what Talia says, T bring it up. Say, Hey, this is what Todd said. She may think I'm nuts, but, um, Add this. yeah, well, I, I mean, Hey, look, look, okay. Just to go. Okay. Um, speaking of, of, of folks like that. So, um, Tarzan did her quiz funnel last year which I'm sure Shanti helped her with. I'm um, talking about Tarzan K. So for anybody who's watching, don't know who I'm talking about. Um, and it was, it was an eighties theme, right? So people were like taking it, not because it necessarily because of Tarzan, but it was like this eighties vibe going on, which is when I grew up. I know Tarzan is way too young to know what the eighties are, but <laughs> anyway, I mean, but that's nostalgia, right? I mean, a little bit. I mean, how many people took that to find out what their 80s thing was, you know? So did you take that quiz? I'm pretty sure I did. But so what was your 80s? Uh... I think I was a Kmart or something like that. Um, I, anyway, it, it had to, the, the, it, it was a funnel to get you into her, um, basically learning how to value yourself more, make, you know, charge more money kind of thing. And I was Kmart special or something like that, which tells you a little bit about me. But anyway, it's probably right. I have no idea what that means. Uh, Kmart <laughs> was a kind of a cheap end store for, it was like Walmart before Walmart really, but, um, 
Walmart lasted longer. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, and they used to have the blue light special, and that, when that blue light came on, everything, certain things were on. Anyway, it's just it was just synonymous with cheap, basically, and um, or you know, that viewing yourself as cheaper or whatever. So. So you raised your prices. Yeah, right. Everything quadrupled after that. Um, <laughs> anyway, that was a convincing face. Uh, but I am likable, so uh, I think. Uh, anyway, no, but but I really think about that because, uh, and, and I think a lot of those quiz funnels actually tap into that, can tap into that. Not everything, but I think that's something. But sometimes you'll see uh, websites with a branding that's kind of retro. I mean, retro is a thing, so I can see how nostalgia as I think about it. That's a pretty good persuasion principle. So it taps into your shared experience. I think that's what makes it so powerful. You're basically creating a group of people who like the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Electric football games. You remember those things that vibrated? I mean, they still make them, I think. Yeah. She look at me like I'm weird, but that's okay. Sorry. 89. I miss most of the eighties. Yeah. 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 Okay. Now I know. Now I remember how old I am. Thank you. You don't look a day over 30. Thank you. Yeah. And my birthday was last Friday, by the way. Oh, happy birthday so, for last Friday. I, I was waiting for, with bated breath for your birthday wish. I sent you a message. I, you did, didn't you? Okay. I did. Hey, Honestly. Uh, I, I had like 200 messages or something between Facebook, <gasps> LinkedIn. Tweet. I, but I tried to answer every single person. Where did you send it to me? Through Facebook? Facebook, I think. Yeah. Okay. You're never on okay. Facebook. You're I'm never used on to Facebook. being ignored. Well, <sighs> that's, that's Gen X for you. We're always ignored. Um, okay. Very good. Uh, how can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at unmassmarket.com or also at sophiadagnan.com, which would give you a link to Unmass Market. Yeah. <laughs> and also LinkedIn. Like of all the social, as Todd said, I am... Um, I used to be a social media marketer, which means that I now suck at uh, social media for myself. So LinkedIn is pretty much the best place. Yeah. So we'll put all that in the show notes and in the description below the video. Um, I do like the, the, the new Sophie uh, uh, Dagnan page. It's a, it's a landing page. It's got a really cool picture of you there. Looking yes, all it redirects you to all the other places where yeah. I am. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, that's what a lot of us do. I mean, uh, we, we have a, like, a, for our name domain, that's what we tend to do. So, you know, I still have WordPress installed for that, but if you go there now, it's a landing page with, here's a link to this, and here's a link to that. And anyway. Yeah, I realized I am not a personal brand person. I was going to build a personal brand, and I was like, no, not doing that. Yeah. Well, Sophie, it was great to catch up and get your yeah, thank you on persuasion. Um, uh, now you got me wondering, should I, maybe I should call Hannah and see if she'll jump on, uh, Do down the road. Um, uh, maybe Nikki, I love Nikki. Nikki's a, mm. Nikki's awesome as well. I would uh, 100% recommend her, not just because she is my co-founder, but mostly that. What would you have her talk? What do you think she should talk about? Ooh, either email marketing or interviewing. She is awesome at both. Very good. I don't want to get, uh, well, well, we'll space those out. I, I want to get some content marketers on as well, but I do have a couple copywriters coming up. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, okay. Well, thank you so much for hanging thank with you. me and, uh, hopefully it wasn't too unprofessional and, uh, hopefully people watching this will learn a little bit more about using, uh, persuasion and likability in, uh, their daily content.